Let's get scratching. We got an explosive broadcast coming to you. Listen up. Sega games, just keep playing them. Sega! We're back. It's the Sega Bit Swing Report Show. Get ready for Sega interviews and news with George and Barry. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Sagabit Swing and Report Show. I'm Barry, with me is my co-host George. Hello everyone. And joining us we have a very special guest. It's the founder and owner and he, he, he does a lot of stuff for the site. The Dreamcast Junkyard, Tom Charnock. Hello. Good evening. Thank you very much for having me on the show, guys. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Oh, thanks. This is your actually your second time on the show. You joined us way back when when we talked... Um, I believe we were talking about regional kind of collecting Dreamcast sort of stuff between the U.S. and uh, the U.K. as you obviously come from. Yeah, yeah, that was, oh wow, that was, well, what was it, two years ago, maybe? I believe so, yeah, yeah, so it's, a lot has changed since then, hasn't it? Yes, it has indeed, yes. (laughs) Well, for starters, the the Dreamcast Junkyard celebrated uh, 10 years, I believe, last year, correct? That's correct. Yes, in uh, in December 2015, it was the 10th anniversary uh, since the blog started, and uh, yeah, I mean you've been part of it for quite a while as well, oh, haven't you, Barry? So <laughs> I wish I wish I could do more for it than I actually do. I feel like one of those <laughs> those guys are like, yeah, I write for the Dreamcast Junkyard, and they go, oh, when did you last write something? Oh, it was like 2011. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but no, but seriously, I, I definitely have to credit you. Um, for one of the the people who definitely got me into blogging about Sega, so uh, thank you oh. for that. No, thank you, thank you for for the uh, for the credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, because it was way back when that you actually brought me on, um, and I believe I was also doing stuff for the Saturn junkyard. And then I made my own junkyard. Everyone has a junkyard these days. Oh yeah, um, the junkyard is very much uh, de rigueur these days. I think. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but one of the big things that you've done since we last spoke was the Dreamcast Ultimate Collector's Guide. Mm-hmm. And um, there's been a quite, quite a bit going on uh, both publicly and behind the scenes on this. Um, so I thought we could talk a little bit about that. We have some questions for you. So, uh, George, did you want to kick things off? All right. Um, can you walk us through the process of creating the guide? Certainly can, uh, and hello as well, George. Uh, I know we hello. spoke briefly on the on the last uh, time I was on, but uh, yeah, hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I can't really take too much credit for the creation of the guide. Um, that has to go to a gentleman who is a friend and also writes for the site. Uh, his name is Mike Phelan, and the way that the the guide actually came about is is quite a long. It was quite a long process. Um, in around about February 2015, he sent me an email out of the blue. And says, "Hi, Tom. I read the Dreamcast Junkyard. Um, I've created this this list, essentially a PDF of every Dreamcast game. I thought you might be interested. Uh, would you Would you like to take a look?" So I was like, "Yeah, okay." Um, had a quick look at it. Thought, "This is quite phenomenal. This is, this guy's got every single Dreamcast game ever made in a PDF." So from that, I kind of spoke to him through email, and we decided to actually put the PDF. He he got it hosted online. And then I put a link to the PDF on the Dreamcast Junkyard, so people could just go along and click download, and then you know download it onto the PC or whatever. And it just kind of stayed like that for a couple of uh, couple of months, really. And Mike would periodically email me and say, "Oh, I've, I've added something new. Um, I've updated the PDF. Um, you know, and I say, oh, okay, great. You know." And it kind of dawned on me that there was a basis for something bigger within this PDF. He'd spent the best part of five years creating this list. So I said to him, look, how do you feel about maybe trying to turn it into an actual physical book, like a physical release? And he was like, yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> everything was just kind of so relaxed. And, you know, I'd send an email, he'd reply a day later. And it was just kind of like, you know, again, really, really chilled. And it got to the point where we were kind of approaching different um, publishers and saying, look, we've got this idea. Are you interested? And we were just getting no replies from anybody. So I remember, the, I can actually remember the day I was walking to work one day. It was a really nice sunny morning. And I just thought to myself, you know what? Why don't we just do it ourselves? So I got my phone out, sent him an email there and then. And he was like, yeah, okay, let's look at, let's look at our options. 
Um, so yeah, it kind of went from there. Really, it was a very a very slow burn, if you will, to get in the uh, the final product that we can actually hold in your hand now. So uh, so yeah, I mean, would you like me to go through the rest of the process on how we got it actually turned into a physical item as well? Or yeah, I mean, that'd be great. Yeah, cool. Okay. Um, so the first thing I did was I looked at um, like self-publishing websites. Um, one of the other guys who writes for the Dreamcast Junkyard, uh, he's my co-host on the DreamPod podcast, um, uh, Rob Rob Jones. He's actually um, a published author, and he, public, he self-published his own novel in 2014. So I asked him how he went about doing that, and he gave me the, the lowdown on using um, – you know these online services where you basically upload your work with a cover and then people can just come along and if you like the look of the book they can just buy it and then one gets pro- one gets produced and it gets sent to that person so i looked at that and i just thought that's we're not really going to get a lot of traction doing that because we you know you can't really quantify how many people are going to be downloading it or even looking at it so what we did was we actually approached a um, an independent kind of print shop uh, which is based in Bristol in the UK, and we sent them the idea. They said, okay, send us what you've got. We'll have a look. At this point, we didn't have a cover or anything like that. I got a friend of mine, a guy called uh, Phil Hockaday, who was a graphic designer. He um, he came up with the the, the artwork, which is the you know, the front, of the, the top of the Dreamcast with the, the logo and everything on it, and uh, sent the, the files off to this printer, and they came back and said, yeah, it looks great. We can do this. And uh, about a week later, I had my first delivery of, of books. It was quite a, quite exciting, to be honest. I was I can remember I was at work, and I had a, an email saying, "Oh, your delivery has been made." I was like, "Yes, it's been made. I, I want to see the books. I want to see the books." But it was raining, and the delivery driver had left the the box outside, you know, in the back of the house. So I got back, and I was like, "No, they're going to be ruined." <laughs> <laughs> I ripped the box open. It was it was all fine though. They were all kind of plastic wrapped inside. Oh, so good. that was uh, yeah, that was that was a touch and go moment. <laughs> so uh, can you uh, tell us what's in the guide? Yeah, certainly. Uh, for those people who may be listening to this podcast who don't actually know what we're talking about, <laughs> I should have maybe mentioned this at the beginning. Uh, the dream, the ultimate Dreamcast Collector's Guide is, as the name suggests, a guide to the library for the, for the Sega Dreamcast. And the author, again, Mike, uh, spent five years basically cataloging every single release from every region and putting them into different categories. So you've got the entire Japanese release list you've got the entire uh, us release list you've also got the pal release list um not only that you've got uh, you've got all the catalog numbers for every game you've got independent release games you've got a, a really interesting section which explains to the reader how well you may be able to play a certain game if you don't speak japanese which is uh, like an accessibility list uh, so those games are set into different lists. So you've got the A list, the B list, the C list, and so on. So games in the A list are things like Crazy Taxi, which don't require any Japanese knowledge at all. And you've got things in, I think it's the F list or the uh, the G list. I've actually got a copy here with me. I'll just have a quick look. Um, and that those games are basically unplayable if you don't speak a word of Japanese. So that's things like the dating simulators and all the, all the shovelware that came out kind of towards the end of the Dreamcast life. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, um, as well as that, you've got things like the upcoming games. So you've got stuff like Saber Rider and the Star Sheriffs, um, Slave, um, Redux 2, that kind of thing. And uh, you've also got a list of, in Europe, what Sega did was they had these things called white labels, which they would send to stores and to magazines to review the games. And they look, for all intents and purposes, they are the same game that comes out uh, for the consumer to buy, but they don't have a box and they're literally just... On the on the top of the disc, it's completely white, and then written in like I think it's silver. It just says the name of the game and you know, Dreamcast, Sega Europe, that kind of thing. So he's even catalogued all those and got all the different catalog numbers as well. Oh, that's so, great! Yeah, he's put a phenomenal amount of work into it, and yeah, it's, I've even used it myself. And I'm looking on eBay if I see a Japanese game, I don't know what it is, and whether I'm going to be able to play it, I'll whip out the guide and have a look at the accessibility list. So that, in a nutshell, is really is what the, the guide is. It is. As it says on the cover, it's not an art book. It's not a picture book at all. There, there, there's no images in it. It's literally all text. Right. So, it's a collector's guide, and those those were really popular. I remember back in the 80s and 90s mm. um, when collecting really kicked off for you know movies and TV shows. Not so much video games, but I remember mm-hmm. picking some up for like uh, classic Star Wars Kenner and for um, like The Simpsons. 
And yeah. they're really fun. And people might think, you know, oh, it's, a, it's a book. Isn't it much easier to find these things online? And, you know, like you said, you do have a, a simple PDF, but, of course, this is prior to the book, and you did a lot more work since then. But it's great to have it in a book because you're not going to always have Internet access. You, um, you're not going to want to carry an iPad around or, or flip through your phone while you're trying to just look at your shelf. It's... That's, that's uh, totally exactly my sentiment as well, uh, Barry. Um, yeah. Basically, what you can do with this guide is you can actually take it to like an event, for example. If you're walking around a, um, like a massive market hall and you've got traders selling Dreamcast games, you can, you can whip this out and have a quick look and see, you know, can I play this Japanese game or do I have that? I mean, the, the main bulk of the book is literally like a checklist. So you can check, you can tick off the games you own. And I know that some people are quite into getting full sets. I know you're going to talk about this later on, but this is a guide really designed for those people mm -hmm. in, in mind. So, yeah, okay, it's, a, cool. it's an invaluable source. This is a weird question. Does it list, um, I know on the back of the Japanese releases, they do something interesting where they list the genre of the game. Does it does it have that information? I always find those interesting. It, not in in the current version, no. But uh, Mike is working on a uh, an all singing, all dancing like deluxe version, which I can't say too much about now. But okay. from what I've seen, does have that and much much more. <laughs> nice, because those yeah. things those have always cleared up arguments for me. Like when people say, "Oh, Shenmue's an RPG. It's not F R E E," and I look at the back of the game and right there it says <laughs> F R E E. I'm like, "See, it's not a marketing term. It's an official genre because it was put on the packaging." <laughs> There's also, uh, also mentioned stuff like that some of the releases maybe were broken and they re-released it. I think there are some Dreamcast games, oh, especially I own two in the of U.S. Them. Yeah, in the U.S. launcher, they don't work. So that's, I mean, uh, sorry, sorry, uh, George. Go ahead. Oh no, yeah, that was it. That was my question. Yeah, that's that's a good, very good point. I mean, what Mike's done as well in uh, in the in the very last section is he actually documents differences between different releases of the same game. And again, I have to say, massive like kudos to to Mike for doing this. Um, but yeah, he's he's basically gone through every single PAL game, and he's given you know a little passage about what is different in each in each version. Um, and what I will say as well is at the start of the book, there is a, um, an ex quite a, a lengthy uh, explanation of, of what all the different keys and um, codes throughout the guide mean. So he's got things like whether or not it was a, a variant of a, of a US release, you know, because I know you had different versions sometimes of the same game in the US. I mean, you, I know you had the, um, like the, oh, what was it? The, not the budget re-releases, but kind of the like Sega the, All-Stars, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, All-Stars. Yeah, yeah. The budget, yeah, they had to sell like a certain point of copies, and then they would get the all star. That's that's also included in the guide. So he does give uh, differences in in releases of the same game. And as I was just about to say uh, at the beginning of the of the guide, he does give a quite a lengthy introduction explaining all of the different key uh, key codes that he uses in the book, um, which can look a little bit bewildering if you're not not really sure what you're looking at, but. Yeah, he lists like you know whether the PAL version of a game has got the um, in in the US versions of, of a lot of games that it only has the manual in English. But in Europe, as it's a quite a big continent, we have the manuals have like Italian, Spanish, French, and that's why the game cases are so fat um, to fit those big fat manuals in them. Um, so he even lists whether or not the manuals have got the different languages. It's quite it's quite a lot of work to be honest. I'm really impressed. Very cool. Um... So one thing that did come up, though, and I know you publicly posted about this, is that um, Sega Europe promoted the book and then mm -hmm. it uh, on, on their Twitter account, and then it was uh, polled, and then you received a cease and desist. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it's quite an interesting story. Um, basically, what happened was, in going back, way back to even before the book was um, actually even a thing, uh, we ran a competition on the Dreamcast Junkyard for you know to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the of the Junkyard, and I contacted Sega Europe and asked if they would be interested in like helping us kind of promote it or if they had anything that we could give away as prizes. And the uh, the head of PR, um, I won't name any names. I don't want to get anybody into trouble. Um, basically said, "This sounds great. You know, we're we're totally in on this. Um, great site. You know, and you know, thank you for basically keeping the dream alive. In you know, in not not so many words, but 
words to those effect. And so they sent us, um, I know you did a similar competition a few years ago where they had the, the Dreamcast collection vinyl, which they gave away, in, I think it was in Australia. Um, oh, right, was, yeah, I remember not keeping one of those for myself, yes. Yes, <laughs> I was very tempted, but I thought I can't. I can't do that. Um, so yeah, they donated a, a total of three of them and a lot of other little goodies that we gave away in com- uh, in the competitions to mark the tenth anniversary. So when the book actually was launched, um, I said to the guys at Sega Europe, "Oh, thanks very much for you know helping us out with the competition. Here's like a, something to return the favour. Here's here's a book that you might find to be of interest." And initially, um, the response was very positive. You know, had a couple of emails from them saying, this is amazing, thank you. Um, the, the guys in the office are like fighting over it because some of them collect Dreamcast stuff. So, you know, this is a real big help, you know, thanks very much. And they went as far as, you know, tweeting about it. They put it on their Instagram account. They included it in one of their, um, Sega Europe has a uh, like a weekly YouTube show that they uh, put details out about competitions and things and they promoted it on the on the youtube show as well and i was just like this is incredible you know thank you so much and uh yeah it was we were like kind of walking on cloud nine for about a day (laughs) and so um i believe it was you barry that actually contacted me on facebook saying i can't find the post on instagram and have they deleted it so then i went and had a look and lo and behold it gone yeah i i saw people's shares of it but they, but it was sh- sharing a broken link, and I was like, "What the hell?" But yeah, yes. no, continue your story then. So, so what happened next? Yeah, so then I kind of looked, and uh, even like on Twitter, the, the thing that I'd actually retweeted was no longer available. You know, and it says tweet cannot be found or error or something. So I was like, "Oh, that's weird." And then on the actual YouTube video, which I shared on the Dreamcast Junkyard itself, they actually removed all the links to the Dreamcast Junkyard and any any mention of the book uh, from the description on the video, but because the, the the book was actually in the actual video, they couldn't remove that. So it's it's still in there towards the end where they just mention it briefly. Um, so I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. I wonder what, what, what the problem is, you know. Um, this clearly wasn't an action by the PR guys. This has obviously come from somebody a little bit higher up. Yeah. So I emailed them and, and asked, like, what the issue was, and there was no reply. And then, again, I emailed back, and there was no reply. And I was just kind of like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Maybe we've kind of uh, really like peed somebody off, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of just left it at that, and then a couple of um, a couple of days later, I was kind of I, I mean, you guys must do this. You must kind of check the the analytics to Sega Bits and see what kind of stats you're getting and how many people are reading the site and that kind of thing. We check it too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of get off on it, to be honest. Yeah. I'm glad it's not just me then. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was having a look and, and I noticed that um, there was quite a lot of activity coming from like Sega, uh, Sega Japan, oh. Sega um, Sega Europe, and then another thing um, called Sega Publishing, which I'd never heard of. And even doing a Google search, couldn't find any like existence of a thing called Sega Publishing. So I was like, okay, that's a bit strange. Um, but anyway, about a week later, I received this email, uh, which wasn't in actual fact a, a threat or a, an actual cease and desist. But it was it was kind of it came from Sega's legal department, and they basically said, I mean, the you know in the in the in the name of full disclosure, I put the email up on the Dreamcast junkyard and said, look, we can't sell the book anymore. Sega have asked us to stop selling it because it's not an official product, and that um, I don't want to basically get into the bad books of a company that I love. Yeah. So I, you know, basically bowed to their wishes and took the book off sale. And uh, I still get emails to this day asking if they can still buy the book. And I'm, but I say, well, no, because I don't have any left and we're not allowed to sell it online um, at, the, at the request of Sega. And to keep them happy, I've kind of said, okay, you know, I won't. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty much the story. I, I did ask Sega, uh, I, I replied to Sega, Sega's legal team asking if there's anything I could do to, you know, change this decision or if I could, you know, make it so that I could sell it. And I just had no reply. And it's been the same ever since, just complete silence. So, yeah. yeah. Did um, he tell you? Did he tell you what you did wrong in the book that they had to, I guess, give you a season desist, or is it just because they just felt like it? I mean, at the end of the day, listing listing all those games isn't gonna. I don't. I don't think that's a copyright? Am I wrong? 
Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's an interesting question, actually, George. I don't actually know what the problem was because I, the the number of times I have asked, I've had no reply. And I mean, I don't really use Reddit myself, but um, somebody shared this story to Reddit, and it kind of it went through the roof. Um, that the hits went ballistic. Um, and I was reading through the comments, you know, people have little arguments on Reddit, and the general consensus was that because it didn't say the word official or unofficial, sorry, on the cover, and also that it uses a, a Dreamcast motif, but, I mean, it doesn't actually have the the, the the logo for the Dreamcast. It doesn't say Sega on it anywhere. And the, the font that we use for the Dreamcast Junkyard main, like, page logo is a um, like a Creative Commons free font, so... Mm-hmm. I wasn't really entirely sure what... I mean, Barry, I think you've probably got a little bit more knowledge on this than I have, so I don't know if, if you had any thoughts on why it could have been. Well, you know, I've... Uh, I mean, I've looked into it myself just because I've always been interested in doing such things, and maybe someday I'll talk about it. But uh, in the meantime, um, I, I honestly... There was... Everything that you were doing in the book seemed to be fair use to me. It was for... Um, educational archival purposes you weren't setting out to replace something official that existed and you weren't setting out to um, I mean it's impossible to create the experience of the games in a book and um, you weren't sharing official imagery though you can do that if you are using it to support a point and Mm -hmm. I'll point to the hardcore gaming 101 books um, which you know they, they released a whole Sega arcade book tons of imagery and information, they didn't get hit with anything. So I I honestly think it either just comes down to putting the word unofficial on the cover, mm-hmm. or it might just be that you got caught up in the unfortunate situation that is Sega Europe, Sega Japan, because, I mean, as we've learned as fans in the past, they don't have their shit together. There is so <laughs> many... Well, there are so many different people calling the shots there. I mean, even... Even in speaking with former, and I don't think I'm, well, they're not community managers anymore. They're great people. But they've revealed to us, you know, saying so much that working with Sega Europe was very difficult because Sega Europe would want to do one thing, Sega America would want to do another thing. And despite the fact that they both work for the same corporation, you know, they might work for separate, uh, I guess you'd consider them companies, um, Sega America, different branches, they, they wouldn't work together. And so I could easily see that, you know, the, the Sega of Europe um, uh, community relations people are like, this is really cool, let's let's share that. And then someone in some other department says, that's not really cool, you can't share that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I yeah, will say, I can understand why they wouldn't want to, because from my experience, I've never seen Sega um, share information about a fan work that is for sale. I've seen yeah, them right. things like, yeah. check out this fan art, you know, or this cool song remix, but they've never been like, here's a book you can buy unless they're behind it. So that that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, that's a good point, to be honest. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention as well on the book front, actually, before I do, I actually sent a copy of the book to Peter Moore <laughs> to see <laughs> if, if he would actually receive it. I just sent it to Electronic Arts HQ. Yeah. And then about, about two weeks later, he actually tweeted that he'd received it. So I was like, that's awesome. oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Thanks. Peter yeah. Moore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, just going back to the book thing, um, it actually transpired a couple of weeks later after the cease and desist letter had, uh, or email had landed in my inbox that Sega Europe are apparently working with a French publisher called Pix and Love, who did the Sega, um, sorry, the Sonic the Hedgehog history book. I don't know if you've seen that. I have. Um, it's. I have my issues with it, but it's. It's a decent book. <laughs> Go yes, on. <laughs> um, I own it. I think it's quite good. Um, yeah. But apparently, um, this uh, this publisher, Picks and Love, are by all accounts working on a Dreamcast book. And I was thinking to myself, hmm, maybe they don't want us to have this book in the public domain because it may detract from the officially like supported thing that Picks and Love are bringing out. Maybe. Possibly, so, though I can't imagine them getting as in-depth as you are, and yours is more like a data dump. I mean, yeah, not to yeah. use that in an offensive word, that's no, no, no. the right thing. You know, it's just like, here's all the information you're going to need. It's not it's not like, hello, my name is Tom. Let me walk you through the history of the Dreamcast with interviews and artwork. And <laughs> <laughs> You've given me an idea for a YouTube video now, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Use that accent, though. <laughs> 
So, like, um, um, like, is it Keith? Is it Keith Apicary? The, uh, yeah. the guy who did the Sega video where he take it, takes over Sega. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. They share, Sega of America shared that because it was, mm. you know, he wasn't selling anything. Yes. And I think true. that's the issue. Though it's unfortunate because Sega of America will share officially licensed things that just look like garbage. Mm. Um, and I won't name names. But um, <laughs> so um, is the guide coming back? It is, yes. Um Basically, what's been happening in the uh, in the meantime, while the book's been unavailable, is that Mike has been adding new things to it. I mean, in the last couple of months, uh, several new games have come come out for the Dreamcast indie games. We've had uh, a lot of new games announced, so they've been added to the upcoming game section. Uh, the indie game section has been updated. The, um, the the few emissions that were made, you know, very obscure emissions that were made in the first version, have been added. Um, yeah, it's, it's completely updated and redone uh, with a new cover, which does say 100% unofficial. Uh, this is clearly a fan work. Um, do not confuse it with something official from Sega, because it's not. And so, yeah, I mean, um, the, the initial email from Sega said, do not sell this online. So this new book won't initially be available online. So we'll be selling it at events and things, which mm. uh, there are a few coming up in, in 2016, which Dreamcast Junkyard will be at as an exhibitor, so we'll be selling it in person. So we've not actually broken any of Sega's uh, rules. Right, <laughs> right. <the> <laughs> wow, that's, that's a nice way to get around it. You didn't mm. stay online. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think you've answered the questions we've had regarding the book. Is there anything you, you want to add about the book before we move on to some uh, some indie releases? Um, no, no, not really. Just that I just wanted to, again to say that you know I can't really take any credit for the book's actual existence. That's all down to Mike Phelan. He is the author. I just helped it kind of. I was like Jiminy Cricket in his ear, saying, <laughs> "We can do this, Mike. We can do it." <laughs> Be careful in the original Pinocchio. Uh, Pinocchio kills Jiminy Cricket. So. Oh, okay. Well, that's a bad analogy then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so George, uh, to keep things moving. Um, we don't have to get too in-depth with these, but do you want to just go through the uh, the indie releases we have out? Maybe we can share our thoughts on them. Can we just – I mean, I just want to start talking about Slave. You want to talk about that one first? Yeah, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a slave for you, so let's let's kick it off. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm going to start off with Slave. I'm just saying it's they spelled it capital letters, but the A was lowercase in the middle. I don't know what significance that has, but it reminds me of Knights, you know? Yeah. But, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This game is kind of weird. Like, it cost how much did it cost when it first came out, Barry? I remember you jumped on it. Oh boy, I think it was about twenty-five bucks. There were a few versions. Um, and it's it, what it looks like is it's running on an I forgot what engine that uh, the Quake engine, right? I believe so. Modified, and it's like a first-person shooter game. But when it was supposed to, it was supposed to come out last year, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. 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 And it's been very delayed. I guess what I've heard is that they didn't have like a coder cable, and now they have it. But I mean, I it looks like it's going to be a fun little game. But I mean, what do you guys think? Yeah, okay. just to, just to go back to uh, the reason of the, the delay. As far as I'm aware, what happened was that they were testing the game, and they found some pretty um, game-breaking bugs, so that they had to rewrite a massive chunk of the code, and that's what's led to this delay. Um, and uh, yeah, like a, like you say correctly, there, uh, George. Um, they did do an appeal on Facebook for a coders cable to get to get some, you know, bug testing, and they've even asked for playtesters now to come on board and, and actually start testing the game. So it's looking quite promising that it may be coming in the next couple of months. Uh, I too um, pre-ordered it, and yes, uh, you're right, Barry. It was. I think it's. I think you can get it for like twenty dollars now, which is about yeah. seventeen pounds. So it's it's pretty good. And it's in 3D, and I know there's a lot of people uh, moaning about 2D Dreamcast indie games. So, uh, mm-hmm. so here's something a little different. And um, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see how it turns out. I've Goat Store, I believe, is the publisher, and I've had no communication from them regarding my order. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to start kicking down some doors. Oh, really? Um, I mean, I, I did put together a very uh, clickbaity story the other day on the Dreamcast Junkyard about the email that they'd sent out saying that, you know, the, the game is still, it still exists, it's still coming, just, you know, hold on, hold on yeah. for a little bit longer. So, uh, yeah. I believe the headline was, you won't believe the email that Goat Store sent. The fifth <laughs> destroyed me, right? <laughs> yeah, it's something like that. 
Um, uh, another one is Leona's Tricky Adventures, and that actually just came out. Um, you've been covering this quite a bit. What can you tell us about the game, Tom? Okay, yeah, um, I haven't personally played it, but uh, I think at least three of the other guys from the Dreamcast Junkyard actually own the game. And basically what it is, it is a, a puzzle game, which is quite similar to the game uh, that came out late last year, which was called, um, the, the name eludes me, Fruity. It was a puzzle game. Ah, right. It's like a tile-based puzzle game. And it's, it's, it's essentially a another one of those, but with this kind of huge... Um, Super Nintendo-esque um, RPG world laid over the top. So you basically move around the world map meeting new characters and then they will present you with a puzzle to, to solve. Okay. Um, so it sounds quite, it's, a, it's quite an interesting, um, what's the word? Uh, it sounds quite, quite an interesting game. Uh, I personally haven't played it, but from what I can tell and what I've been told, it's it's really really cool it's got quite high production values and uh, yeah the the development time has been well well spent shall we say very cool yeah it actually reminds me a bit just looking at the screens of um, wind and water puzzle battles oh yeah yes mm. and the next one is going is uh, Alice dreams tournament and I guess they're trying to use Alice as a this these developers as their like center point for their games is that right I think I heard him say in an interview yeah, it's it's a weird one actually because there was one uh, sort of middle of last year called Alice's Alice's Mum's Rescue, and they, I believe they're completely unconnected. It's just a, a coincidence that they both have a central character called Alice. Uh, <laughs> but um, basically, what this one is is this comes from a, a French developer, um, a, you know, a development team, and they have kickstarted this successfully. And I've actually uh, pledged to it as well, so hopefully when it launches, I'll get a copy of that. But what Alice's, um, Alice's, oh, sorry, what's it called? Alice Dreams Tournament. <laughs> I'm getting confused myself. Um, <laughs> this is a, a Bomberman clone and is intended to be played, you know, with four players, uh, with everybody sat around the same screen. It's, it's kind of going back to the old time, you know, the old days of local multiplayer, which is what's sadly lacking, in my opinion, from modern consoles. So this looks like a, a really original, fresh take on the Bomberman game. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Something that was um, notable for their Kickstarter, if I'm remembering correctly, was they were promoting a, um, a flashlight accessory for your VMU so you could see in the dark. Yes. Um, it was like a reading lamp. <laughs> That's totally exactly what it was, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know how <laughs> how actually, uh, what's the word, practical it, it may be, but uh, it's nice to see developers looking at new and inventive ways of, of using the Dreamcast hardware, yeah, um, because I believe some of the levels are, um, it, from what I can gather, in the, in the single-player mode, if there is one, this is only what I can uh, sort of deduct myself, um, is that some of the levels are in complete darkness and you have to use the VMU screen to, you know, negotiate the, the level. And See, that's really was, cool. Yeah, very inventive, yeah. If only yeah. some other, you know, modern-day developer would do that with a console and it became successful. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> the Wii U isn't selling that well. Um <laughs> So how do you feel about uh, the indie Dreamcast releases over the years? Do you feel that the output and quality has increased, decreased, maybe remained steady? What's your what's your outlook on it? Um, my outlook is um, overwhelmingly positive, I must say. I mean, for a console like the Dreamcast to still be getting new games in 2016 is, I must say, fantastic. And I have to, you know, raise a glass or tip my hat to um, to all those developers um, who are still creating games, working hard to do this. Um, I believe the, oh, was it the Neo Geo? Was the, is the longest, um, the, the uh, is it the MVS? Yeah. MVS. Uh, it's, it's the one that had the longest uh, running official support from its own company. Um, but the Dreamcast, I think, is, is, is catching up with the support from the, the indie, the, you know, the indie um, crowd because, you know, we're not, we're looking. We're at 2016, and we're looking at multiple games coming out in the, in the next sort of 12 months. So, um, quality-wise, it's a mixed bag. I think. Uh, I mean, the last big release was the Ghostblade, which came out last year, and that received some quite bad reviews. And it was even reviewed in the mainstream press, certainly here in the UK. Anyway, um, several magazines, print magazines, covered it, and uh, it got you know middling to you know, sort of decent review scores. Um, 
and a lot of people from the hardcore sort of shmup community weren't impressed with the difficulty level but you know again it's a game coming out for the dreamcast in 2015 that one so yeah i'm I'm, uh, I'm always inclined to you know maybe not be not give games a free pass but at least kind of say look these are hobby hobbyists really at heart that are still producing stuff for this console so you know it's um they deserve all the support they can get and um you know there's been a lot of shmups uh shoot 'em ups just in the past maybe three or four years. I feel personally that right now we're kind of getting over that hump, and I think a lot of games are releasing in, um, I guess, to answer... I, I guess a lot of indie developers or maybe just fans were like kind of getting tired of seeing so many from that genre um, because we're seeing a lot of games that are not shmups. In fact, I feel like there's more non-shmups in 2015 and 2016 than there are shmups. I feel yes. weird saying schmucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's, a, it's one of those words that you always see written down but never actually say. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it's, it's a good point, that actually, uh, Barry. Um, I mean, you've got things like Elysian Shadows coming. You've got, um, you know, that's a, two, a 2D top-down RPG. Yes. And you've got things like Hypertension, which has gone a little bit quiet, but I'm still hopeful for. Again, Slave, which we mentioned earlier, is a, is a 3D first-person puzzle-em-up puzzle game even and uh, yeah there's uh, what I the things I'm kind of looking forward to seeing in maybe in the, in the you know in the extended future are things like maybe driving games I know we had rush rally racing a few years ago but that was kind of a quite basic top-down game but um there's a um there's a team in Spain called retro summers and uh, they are developing a game called amoeba which is a, a visual novel a detective yes. novel and alongside that, they're also developing a game called Xenocider, which is a an homage to Space Harrier. So the 3D games are starting to come now. You know, we're moving away from the traditional 2D shmup, and we're kind of going towards different genres. So, like I say, the the first person shoot 'em ups and the uh, the into the screen shooters. So, you know, as time goes on, we may see more games from different genres come to the Dreamcast. Yeah, I'm here's hoping. And George, you had a few questions. Um... Yeah, what what accessories would you like to see uh, you, uh, indie developers utilize? Because I want to see some uh, bass fishing style <laughs> games. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, definitely the fishing rod. I mean, that could be quite good with things like sword fighting games and things. You know, as it was used in Soul Calibur, maybe that could be a, an interesting use for it. Um, I, to be honest, I, one accessory I'd love to see used is the um, the microphone. I know that's really wishful thinking because there's only a few games that, that actually came from Sega that use it, but uh, that would be uh, very interesting. Maybe even something like the Dream Eye as well, the Dream Eye camera, so you could put yourself into new indie games. Um, there's certainly a scope for something like a kind of like a Mario Paint type thing where you could actually take images and manipulate them on the Dreamcast. I know that actually comes with the the, um, the Dream Eye itself, its visual pack, but something which is more accessible and actually in English would be, would be really cool. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so um, and just going back to things like driving games, you know, with the steering wheel, that would be quite cool. And, uh, and maybe even the light gun. I, I can't imagine a light gun game is that hard to make. make. So as long as you've got a TV that would, you know, use yeah. it. <laughs> I feel like maybe the one thing holding them back is that some indie developers maybe think accessories are hard to come by, and so they don't want to um, maybe target such a narrow field. But I feel like the microphone, the um, fishing rod, and the light gun are really easy to come across. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, you, you mentioned, actually, that the, uh, the, the, the prevalence of certain peripherals, shall we say, um, there was a topic we discussed on the Dream Pod, which is the Dreamcast Junkyards podcast, um, where one of the guys who presents the show, he actually lives in Australia, and it's only through really speaking to him at length that I've you become aware that the country you live in is not how it is everywhere else. And certainly in Australia, they had a hell of a, a time back in the day of the Dreamcast actually getting stuff because AussieSoft, the company that distributed the Dreamcast in Australia, were, you know useless mm. so he, he, he the prevalence of dreamcast stuff in the in australia is very it's very narrow so you do have to pay through the nose for it so i can see why you know some developers might be wary of not you know of, of building incompatibility with certain peripherals because it's like with the connect you know 
not many people have a connect so building in connect connectivity is you know a bit pointless so yeah that's a good point um, actually before we get to the collecting thing I kind of want to ask him a question oh go ahead go ahead <laughs> uh, I actually said we we're gonna talk about this kind of uh, you guys were working on the Dreamcast Deluxe. I don't know if you guys already broke the project down, but you were trying to get the Dreamcast to work on more modern-day TVs, I guess, in one setup. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, no problem. Um, basically, what the Dreamcast Deluxe is uh, was um, still a work in progress um, and something I've not really put a lot of time in just yet because I, I just don't have the time. But it came about because... Um, you know, we've we've seen all the stuff about the the Dreamcast Two and Project Dream and all these um, you know projects that are going on you know around the internet, and it just kind of suddenly dawned on not just myself but quite a few different people from the Dreamcast community that you know we do actually have the technology. I know that's going to sound like the sixty million dollar man or whatever, <laughs> but um, we we have the technology already to to build a Dreamcast that is capable of, of being what you know, what a Dreamcast 2 or a Dreamcast HD could be. So uh, a, a guy who I know who lives not too far from me, actually, um, a guy called Ash has developed a a board that you can actually fit into a Dreamcast, which will output at full HD. Um, actually, you can plug it into a HD TV and it will output, you know, a full HD image. Um, there's a, there's a guy who lives in Greece um, who is uh, a bit of a, an expert when it comes to Bluetooth, and he's created the first Bluetooth Dreamcast controller, uh, one of which I own, which is called the Dreamcon. And, you know, so we could have wireless controllers built in as standard to the to this system. Um, we could have the, the GDMU built in, so there would be no need for GD-ROMs. Um, another friend of mine, a guy called Luke Benstead, who has created this thing called the DreamPi, which allows the Dreamcast to go back online without a broadband adapter so that you can play online just using a, a Raspberry Pi and an image that he's created on a and an SD card. There are a few little other bits and pieces you need as well, such as a dial-up modem uh, and that kind of thing, but that's, that's you know, that's, those are easily available things. Um, and myself and these guys who are, you know, quite really quite switched on guys have been discussing um, the the possibility of putting all of these things into an actual Dreamcast shell and having what we are calling the Dreamcast Deluxe. So it puts out a HD image, it's got wireless controllers, you can go online and play online with it without having a broadband adapter. It's it's essentially a, a, a reimagining of the Dreamcast hardware for so 2016. So what would be your plan, Give, uh, giving out instructions for people to uh, make it themselves, maybe making a bundled console yourself and selling it at a, at a price point? Or is This is something we've not really discussed yet. I mean, I think the first plan would be to uh, create a prototype, uh, which, again, is something that is, is actually ongoing at the moment. Uh, it's just because we all live in different parts of Europe. It's, it's quite difficult to actually get the logistics together and without one of us being a, a, a millionaire to go right okay I'll pay for it all <laughs> yeah um, so I mean it, the, the possibility of it being a kit is uh, is something that we could maybe look at because it would take a, a degree of technical knowledge on, on doing this kind of thing you know inside a Dreamcast so what my initial idea was was to get a standard Dreamcast send it to the first person to do their bit they would then send it on to the next person and so on and so forth until all the different aspects have been created and it was in one self-contained unit. I've always said that a rite of passage for any Dreamcast fan is to take a console, a Dreamcast console, entirely apart and then put it back together because your, your understanding of the console changes greatly after you do something like that. I totally yes. agree. Um, when I back here, back in the uh, not too distant past, I was a, a keen motorcyclist, and it was after about a month or so of owning my first bike that I had to uh, take the engine apart, have a look how it all worked, and then put it back together again and have a <laughs> a greater understanding of how it all kind of slotted together and how it all operated. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you take the lid off a Dreamcast, it can look quite daunting. But then it's when you realize that everything is modular and it all just pops apart. It's amazing it's how, yeah. how modular it is. It's, it's, it's almost like a layer cake. You know, you have the, the bottom, and then you have the middle, and then you have the top, and then there's just a few screws holding things together. It's, mm -hmm. I actually, I I've went in there and actually picked and choose between two different models that I had because some parts were 
being junky on me, and it, it worked. It was fun. <laughs> it was a fun project. Yeah. I think all of my Dreamcasts, I own about seven or eight of them now, and all of them have got bits from different ones chucked in where something failed, or they've got um, UK power boards in them in the, Jap- in the Japanese ones, you know, just so <laughs> I don't have to mess about with different plugs and things like that. So <laughs> I love it. I, I, I can't, you know, I can't. There's nothing better to me than taking a Dreamcast apart and having a quick nosy around inside, giving it maybe a clean. Uh, that kind of thing. So I'm a, I'm a complete nerd when it comes to this kind of thing. So and as time goes on, these things are going to start breaking down in certain parts. So you better stock up. Mm. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> I, sh- I have a I have a shelf in my games room that's just kind of full of like bits of random Dreamcasts. So you know, I've got the odd GD ROM drive over there, the odd controller board. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> nice. So uh, you did talk briefly about the Dreamcast 2. What's your opinion on it since, you know, you've been covering the Dreamcast for over a decade? Um, I, I mean, I, don't re- I really don't want to ruffle any feathers, but um, when, when something actually appears that's a tangible physical object that says Dreamcast 2 on it, then I'll say, you know, kudos, guys, you, you, you did it. Brilliant. But until that point, um, I'm kind of keeping my arms distance. You know, I don't want to be drawn into the... If there's one thing I'm not, it's a fanboy. I know where the Dreamcast failed, and I know that it's not the greatest thing of all time. Some, no. some, <laughs> some, some people kind of lose that scope, and you know, some people are just blinded, blinded by the 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 memories that they have of how great the Dreamcast was back in the day, and you know, sadly, it's the past. Now, like any Dreamcast fan, I would love to see Sega make another console, but. The chances of it being called the Dreamcast 2 are pretty non-existent. And, um, exactly. Like, if you're a company and you're releasing a new console, you don't say, hey, man, remember that console that failed you last time that we, we like, left? <laughs> yeah, we're calling this one the second sequel to that. That's already <laughs> a bad image, I think. Right. Yeah, but, I mean... Um, I mean, you, we've heard this. I mean, I'm sure you've heard it way more than us, but you've heard it, like, almost... Every two years, there's somebody that comes out saying that there's a Dreamcast 2 or there's a new Dreamcast console. Or, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I think this is probably the one that's probably stuck the most so far, and they've been updating on it. But I haven't seen, like you, I agree with you 100%, in a physical box. It's just yeah. a bunch of concept stuff, and that's that's just, nah, I don't care. Basically, my stance on it has been this: um, I don't, I don't want to feature anything about Project Dream or the Dreamcast 2 on the Dreamcast Junkyard because we are a Dreamcast website. Um, Dreamcast 2 or Project Dream for, is, is is not really anything to do with the Dreamcast. Do you know? It doesn't really have anything to do with the Dreamcast. Yeah. So um, why why would we? cover it, it we, you know <laughs> it doesn't make any sense so that's why we, we've not really covered it and it's not I, I mean I've spoken at length with um, uh, Bertie the guy who's kind of behind the whole project and you know he's a, he's a normal guy he's just a guy like me and we chat you know um, so I've got nothing I've got no ill will or bad feeling towards anything around the project but it's just not about the. it's not for me it's not anything to do with the Dreamcast so that's why I've not really covered it Fair point um, you guys want to want to start talking about uh, collecting? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I just want to talk a little bit about the state of Dreamcast collecting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in your opinion, Tom, how does Dreamcast collecting compare to other Sega consoles on the market currently? Um, I think it favors. I think it it compares favorably. Um, but on on the flip, it's it's, a, it's actually quite a hard co- um, question to answer that really with one sentence, um, <laughs> because um, obviously with the Dreamcast you've got different, you've got people who collect different things. So you've got people who collect uh, PAL games, you've got people who collect you know exclusively uh, American or Japanese things, and some people just collect everything. Um, like our good friend Adam Korolik, who claims to have every single game known to man. Uh, I'm yet to see or yet to question him if that's uh, <laughs> completely true. Um, <laughs> um, however, for me personally, um, I don't actually own a complete set of any of any um, region. Uh, I, ho- I own about 95% of the PAL collection, but then with the ones that are too expensive for me to afford, I just buy the American or the Japanese versions. Because for me, playing the game is more than actually owning a shelf full of things, Yeah, you know? Um, I just want to play the games and experience them. 
Um, so just to answer the question that you originally asked, actually, uh, Barry, <laughs> rather than yeah. going off on a tangent, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a mixed bag, really. Uh, certainly some PAL games are very expensive, uh, but then on the flip side, you've got things that are really, really common, such as the football or soccer titles and uh, things like Virtual Tennis, Crazy Taxi, that kind of thing. Those are quite low level on the collector's list. Uh, but then you've got things like Moho, which are right at the top, and the PAL exclusive like Headhunter, uh, Shenmue 2, that kind of thing. So. Yeah, in in Europe, are you seeing any resurgence of um, like Master System or Saturn or Mega Drive collecting? Um, with the other systems, it's it's always kind of been on a like on a level. It's never really gone ridiculous. Um, I mean, if you look at like eBay.co.uk, for example, you will find that some systems, such as the Atari Jaguar, are going through the roof, and things like the Amiga CD32, just because they're so uncommon. With the Sega stuff. It's, it, it generally keep, kind of keeps on a on a certain level. Yeah. Um, Saturn, um, unless you look, you're looking at the really obscure things or hard to find things like Burning Rangers, you will find you know stuff on there for a couple of pounds. It's not it's not a massive market really. Um, same with the Mass System and the, and the Sega Mega Drive or Genesis is really as well. Mm-hmm. There are the odd games within those libraries, such as things like Gunstar Heroes for the um, Genesis that are always expensive um but generally it's, it's it's quite affordable so what are your latest uh, collecting finds oh um okay it's just com- just completely sega related or anything or anything sega related. no anything oh. you, can, you can do anything <laughs> as long as it's not like yeah i went to i went to the store and i got the latest call of duty i found that <laughs> well, I actually got NHL 2016 the other day, but uh, we won't go. <laughs> we won't <laughs> hey, go that's kind of Sega related. I saw your your post actually. The it looks awesome. Oh, it's fantastic! It's so yeah. good. Yeah. Um. But anyway, back on topic. Um. Last uh, late last year, I got a Neo Geo CD, and I've been kind of getting into that recently. So I've found a couple of websites that do do really affordable Neo Geo CD games, and so I've been kind of steering clearing. Uh, Sorry, steering myself away from eBay, I'm going to the actual dedicated online stores, which have a more realistic price point for a lot of these systems. Mm-hmm. And um, also with the Japanese Saturn as well. I'm trying to think of any specific things that I've picked up. Um, I did get um, Sonic Wings 2, I think it's called, for the um, for the Neo Geo CD. And I also got... Um, geez, let me think... Uh, Oh, um, a couple of Famicom games as well uh, I've picked up recently. Uh, yeah, sorry, my mind's just kind of gone blank. I'm trying to think what I've recently bought. But what about you guys? Have you bought anything recently? Picked anything up? Uh, I haven't actually been. I actually haven't bought games. I think the last thing I bought was that Dreamcast uh, bundle. Some guy was selling like a Dreamcast with like four controllers and a bunch of stuff, and I'm like, do I need another Dreamcast and a bunch of controllers? <laughs> Yes. And then I thought about it, and I was like, for $30, yes, I do need this. Wow. It's <laughs> a really good deal. I went and picked it up, and uh, I don't regret it at all. I'm just swapped with controllers. I have, like, probably, like, 30 controllers. It's ridiculous. I'm totally the same. I mean, now, now since last year, we do events as well, DreamQuest Junkyard. So we have, um, we'll have, like, a stall. I know you guys do events in the U.S., um, mm-hmm. And have been doing for quite some time, but it's only like in the last year that we've started doing them on the Dreamcast Junkyard. So we'll take maybe four or five consoles and have them all set up with the the controllers. So I just see the the extra controllers as a as a bonus to take to the event. So I'm not going to get my personal ones all like you know covered in horrible slimy handprints and <laughs> all broken and things. So yeah. <laughs> Speaking of horrible slimy handprints, do you do do either of you guys still have the original Dreamcast controller? That came with your first system. Yes. Um, no, I don't actually have the original system that I had. I I, I told the story a few times, but I actually yeah. swapped it for a PlayStation Two. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and I can actually remember roughly when it was. That would have been, it would have been the week before 9/11, because I was playing on my new PS2 when the the atrocities happened, and I had a phone call from my mother saying, oh, "Are you watching the TV?" And I was like, no, I turned my PlayStation 2 off, and and, and they, you know, there was the news reports. Um, so yeah, it was around the uh, time of that. So. Wow. Well, at least you traded your Dreamcast. You don't have the Dreamcast associated with that terrible memory. 
Okay, yes, that's a good point. <laughs> yes, if, if we can put one positive on 9-11. Um, no, anyway, send your uh, send your angry letters to segabits at gmail.com. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, I, I was just thinking of nasty controllers, and I still have mine. It... Uh, there's there's gunk in all the buttons and the triggers nice. click. They're so used they like they squeak and click. It's it's beautiful. The thing is though, Barry, if it's your gunk, that's fine. But it's, no, it's my it's gunk. gunk. It was another I'm proud of it. That's that's hours of Fancy Star Online gunk right there. <laughs> that's a brilliant soundbite. Oh, it's yeah. my gunk. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, uh, I guess just to complete the question, as far as my pickups, um I did get pure solar not too long oh, yeah. ago. Um, just uh, I, I got on the pre-order bandwagon right before that cut off, and that was a beautiful mm-hmm. indie release. And um, as far as non-Dreamcast stuff, <laughs> the last game I bought was uh, Frankenstein and Dracula for the Sega CD. Wow, <laughs> and uh, that's <laughs> a, a classic, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but if if I can if I can say something good about it. A lot of people aren't aware that the um, Sega CD version of, uh, what is that, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is, I believe, U.S., only released in the U.S. I may be wrong on that, but it definitely only released to the Sega CD, that version, and it's completely different from the uh, SNES and Genesis release. So it's actually a decent point-and-click adventure, and there's this hilarious... um, I guess it's it's like point and click, but then kind of like Shenmue, you get into these random like fighting battles where you actually like punch and kick things, right. and so you you can actually have the monster like have a kind of Mortal Kombat sort of fight with uh, Victor Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because there's ways to get around the battles, so you can actually think like, well, if I slip him some sleeping potion, I won't have to fight him. So it's, I mean, it's it's a bad game, but it. It's playable, and I, I and it has save states, so it's or save points, which is really nice. Um, that so, does sound yeah. quite novel, to be honest. Sounds quite yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can find it, it's it's worth checking out. Um, so I, I guess going back to collecting, uh, George, do you want to field the last question? All right, I'll do it. I like how I do it with <laughs> all whiny. Um, uh, what's your opinion with complete completionist and uh, who collects sealed games? That's the question. Okay, um, I don't really have any issue with people who are, you know, wanting to get full sets because, you know, everybody needs a hobby. Uh, it's not really something that, to be honest, if I could afford it, I probably would, but um, I just refuse to pay the extortionate prices that some of the final games that I don't have in my collection command because, let's be honest, the vast majority of them are rubbish. Yeah. Uh, you've got yeah. things like, um, there was one game called Taxi 2, which was a French-only release, which is notorious for how bad it is. But if you look on eBay, you know, it goes for £100 plus. Um, there's another one called Moho, which I'm not sure it actually came out in the US, um, which is like a, it was a PlayStation port. And that, again, is is terrible. Um, but that goes for 80 plus. Um, so really, it's just down to a lack of funds, really, that stops me from becoming a completionist. But, you know, each to their own. Um, as far as sealed games go, um, I... I don't really see the point. I mean, games are meant to Thank be you. played. Um, I've I've actually had games where they have been sealed. I've bought them, you know, old new stock or new old stock, and I've just as soon as it's arrived in the post, I'm like, right, rip rip the wrapping off and play it. You know, whereas yeah. some people might think of that as sacrilege. I just think the games are for playing. I mean, again, if you if that's your bag, then I'm totally fine with that. But personally, I'm not a fan. What about you, Barry? What's your take on sealed games? Oh, boy. Well, um, as far as completionists, I have no issue, um, as you mentioned. I, I do think that if you're going to become a completionist, think long and hard about the money that you have available because you, if you just set out to do it and you go broke, that's kind of stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> don't don't you know put your your life and family in jeopardy over a, a full shelf of <laughs> video games where... <laughs> 80% of them are awful and can be downloaded for free. Um, can you imagine that, Barry? Telling your kid that he's going to have to eat Dreamcast games because they... <laughs> <laughs> um, having said that, I was I was and am now a Sega Pico completionist. So, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I'm probably one of the only people in the U.S. No, I'm sure there's a few. But um, uh, as far as sealed games, I never understood that. Uh, 
I, I can underselling, understand selling them because there's always, it's always really fun to buy them for me personally and opening them like it's a brand new release. But yeah, um, yeah. There, there is actually um, there's, a, there's actually a whole scene around sealed games in the online, yeah. the forums and everything where people can like you know talk about sealed games. So yeah, you talk about well, looking at them. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> what, about you? what about you, George? I mean, are you do you have an opinion on sealed uh, games or? I don't really mind as long. I mean, like, if I find a sealed game and then I already have the game and I find it for cheap enough, I'll buy it and maybe keep it sealed. I mean, I already have the game. Uh, yeah. I sometimes do it with soundtracks. Like, I'll support a band, just keep it. I'll never open the album because I already have it on my computer and I listen mm-hmm. to it on my iPod. But yeah. no, I wouldn't buy a, a, a game and just keep it sealed and never play it. If I only have one copy, I would open it. What's the what's the most expensive or rare sealed game you bought that you opened? Can you imagine, recall one? Um, I'm trying to think. I think I bought. I think I think Saga I had was sealed. Oh boy. So I opened it. I didn't care. I'm not going to buy it again. That game. You expensive. bought it. You bought it new though, right? Or yes. like when it came out. No, no, not when it came out. I bought it new like after a while. Like. Oh okay. So yeah, but it was when eBay prices weren't that bad. Yeah. Now yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah, I did it with Burning Rangers. Oh yeah? I opened that shit right up. Did you, did you regret <laughs> it? No, I mean it was it was only two years after it released. I actually got it for like forty bucks sealed um online. But uh I knew that it just getting it that I was like, Oh, should I open this? Of course I will, and I just ripped it open. Uh how about you, Tom? Do you have any any recollections? Um, not really with the Dreamcast because uh, lo- everything I've got now is, is pretty much come as. Oh no, I do tell a lie. Um, a, a copy of uh, Demolition Racer No Exit I got last year came from the seller and it was sealed. And I, I already had it as a as a CDR, but I wanted the official version, so I bought this one off eBay. And then I was like, Yeah, I'm, I'm opening this. <laughs> I just ripped it open and, and played it. So even though I'd already I already had it on a CDR, I just wanted to play the you know the official version. So yeah, it's amazing how many little pieces of paper they put into those Japanese releases, huh? Oh yeah, 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 it is. They love that. They love it. Mm. Love That's it. why I love <laughs> Japanese versions of oh. games because of all the little extra paper. Oh man, there's is one. It's a glow in the dark stickers. I there's something liberating about just opening a game, a brand new Dreamcast or Sega Saturn game. So yeah, I think I, I think I'm gonna start getting brand new games just so I could feel that feeling of opening it. <laughs> you put a video of yourself doing it on YouTube and see how many thumbs downs you get. Yeah, <laughs> do um show your hands opening it, but then a second video just showing your face and the elation and the, <laughs> the feelings that come. Your 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 cheeks swell and you're like, oh, I've opened it. <laughs> well, don't don't call it a react video though. You'll get a <laughs> no, no no no. That's right. And also say it's unofficial. <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, that that just about wraps up our questions. Unless uh, George, you had anything else you wanted to ask Tom or add? No, I just wanted to say uh, I think he should focus on the Dreamcast Deluxe. I like the idea, and I've seen some of the the pictures he's posted. So I want to wish him luck with that. And thank you. If anybody wants to pick the the book, you have to find him in person. So yes, yes, indeed. Um, yeah, the, the the first time I will be selling this book in person of a new version is at a, um, a video game market in. Uh, I'm not sure how many listeners you have from the UK, but um, do you guys know about Retro Collect? Yes. Website. Yeah. Um, we steal stories from them often. Yes, <laughs> all the time. Um, there's a big market in a place called Doncaster in early March, so I'll be at that with the Dreamcast Junkyard. Banners and things selling the book at the uh, the retro collect video game market. So yeah, if you see me, then come and say hello. Oh, awesome! Well, Tom, thanks again so much for uh, joining us a second time. Um, if you come three times, then you get a free game. Oh wow! What what kind of game is it? Is it, is it uh, Frankenstein for the Mega I CD. I just made that up, but <laughs> yeah, if someone comes on the show three times as a guest, I will send them something free. Maybe not a game. I don't well, know what. Um, Guys, I mean, thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely, and again, that's the dreamcastjunkyard.co.uk, and Mm. it's uh, coming on 11 years old now, so it just keeps getting older, just like the Dreamcast, but uh, you guys keep putting new parts in it and keeping it running. 
And just one one final thing, if I could, just to say again, absolutely. You know, thank you for having me on, and also thank you to Mike Phelan for writing the uh, the, the Dreamcast uh, Collector's Guide, and also to Phil Hockaday for doing the cover art. And uh, yeah, thanks very much. Well, hey, thanks.